Claire FM's Beyond Belief with Stephen Fletcher. It's nine o'clock on Sunday, the 5th of February, 2023. Time for Beyond Belief. Good evening, Stephen Fletcher with you again for the next hour. And we have another packed programme for you. As the Catholic Church and the Church of Ireland realise the importance of having trained lay ministers, I've been talking to one of the trainee Church of Ireland diocesan readers as she comes to the end of her training. She tells us how the training's gone and the pressure and the joy that she's experienced. We have another book review from Dr Sue O'Brien, who's looking at three books for us this week, a book of poetry and two other books, one fiction and one non-fiction. Father Jerry Kenny shares with us his love of musicals and talks about the highly successful American songwriting team consisting of composer John Kander and lyricist Fred Ebb. Jerry takes us through some of the great Kandra and Ebb musicals and chooses some songs from their shows. And of course I will also have my chat with Father Jerry as we talk about the week's events in both of our churches. All that to come, together with an eclectic choice of music. And I think I've seen a strange light in the sky recently, and I thought we would start with the Beatles. Here comes the sun. Spring is coming. Welcome to Beyond Belief.
That's the Beatles there. Here comes the sun, just putting it on order for the bank holiday tomorrow, St Bridget's Day. Here we are again. Very good to speak to you again. And did you realise, Jerry, that this is the 150th remote show that we've been doing? My gosh, it's almost three years since we had to begin to do the show remotely because of the outbreak of COVID. Thank you for all all that you have uh, done to face up to that challenge. Uh, no, it, it was the 15th of March 2020 that we did the first of these, I've called them virus shows, so I've got 150 of them on my computer. Yeah, we, we've been working from home, Jerry, for the last nearly three years. Putting a show together remotely like this it actually does take a lot of work and it means you have to plan, sit down and, and put all the pieces together over time to package it all w- well, which you're very well able to do, whether you're in Kilrush or over in the UK for us. And, uh, you know, it's, I suppose, part of the magic of technology as well. That's right. We've mentioned before that technology is getting cheaper and easier and uh, we can all access it now. And it does mean that we can do things like this. And, uh, you know, to people listening, it sounds like we are together in the studio over a cup of coffee but of course we're not we're we're hundreds of miles apart but uh, never mind it's uh, one of the miracles of the internet I suppose we should say so Jerry one of the things I know has been happening is Pope Francis has been in southern Africa since the 31st of January since last Tuesday and he's been there half of the population are Catholic so it's a very strong reason to be over there and I think it's a visit that was planned last year sometime. Yes, I have recalled that Colm Flynn, when he was chatting to us last year, had in his diary that he was going to be travelling with the Pope to South Sudan at that time, but the the trip was cancelled because of, I think, a health issue with Pope Francis at that time. But happy to see that it, it has gone ahead now. And again, Pope Francis continuing his outreach on a worldwide basis to many people and especially to those in far-flung areas. Yeah, and he's 86 years of age, you know, it's a, it's a good age to be travelling around the world like that, isn't it, bless him? Absolutely, and I believe your own Archbishop of Canterbury is going to join him for part of that visit. Yeah, on Friday, they were in South Sudan on Friday, uh, so they've got a joint visit there, because obviously we have a lot of people as well in somewhere like South Sudan, so some of them are Catholic, but some of them also are Anglican, and uh, it's a growing part of the church, isn't it, both for your church and for my church, Southern Africa is a growing part. I suppose it's it's the things we don't often think about in our own particular worlds, the outreach of faith and the way in which it has been embedded in various different cultures and its expressions in different cultures. Uh, that's a richness, I think, that humanity brings in the gift, in expressing its own gift of faith in the various ways and various cultures and traditions uh, that are there. Yeah. 
One of the things over here this week that has been noted, I think, is particularly the Feast of St. Bridget, because this year we have an extra bank holiday in our calendar, and that is this weekend. Uh, Tomorrow, Monday, is a bank holiday, and it's been made official this year to celebrate St. Bridget. And it's a nice holiday to have in the breach between Christmas and St. Patrick's Day, which is coming up in March. And, you know, there's been a lot of reflection on talk shows and that about the role of Bridget and the role of the feminine in our world and in uh, times past and particularly the the character of Bridget and her great gift of hospitality and care for the environment and her leadership qualities as well. Yeah, and of course she came from Kildare and our Church of Ireland Bishop, Bishop Pat Story, I think was on RTE1 during the week on a documentary about Bridget and it's good to have it recognised and it's good, as you say, to have another public holiday. So we are talking during a Bridget weekend, which is, is lovely and if the sun shines as well, that'll be even better. Absolutely, and I suppose we'll have to invent what they will do for this weekend, but I think with the beginning of spring, people will want to be out and walking about and perhaps visiting places like Kilkee and that, and going for a stroll on the beach, and uh, you know, I hope it will be a nice relaxing time for families and give them a little bit of a break during this period of time. Yeah. Well, Jerry, thank you. 150 not out, I suppose we could say. And uh, it's uh, been very good to talk to you again. And uh, I look forward to our 151st talk in a week's time. But, Jerry, thank you so much and enjoy the holiday. Well, thank you, Stephen. And as always, it's great to be able to chat with you over the airwaves and to work with you on our programme. Thank you very much, Stephen. God bless you. Thank you, Jerry. Bye now. So once again on Beyond Belief, I'm very happy to be with Sue O'Brien, who has been reviewing three books for our attention here this week. Uh, Sue, you're very welcome, and thank you for spending the time looking at these books for us. Which one would you like to start with? I think I'm going to the most complicated book to the last. So I'm going to start with some poetry, I'm going to move on to some spy stories and I'm going to have a non-fiction book at the end. Grand. So we start with the uh, first one that you've talked about there, its title and author. So I think I'm perhaps a little bit silly here in that I have always known about Anthony Cronin, obviously a very famous Irish poet, but I have not until just recently been become familiar with his wife, Anne Haverty, who was much younger than him, and she was born in 1959, which places her at really not very much older than me. <laughs> so I find that quite, uh, quite worrying. Um, and she was born in Waterford, educated at Trinity and then the Sorbonne. So her... She writes novels as well as poems, but it's for poems that I was going to talk about. And some of her poems are set in Ireland and some of them are actually all over from Europe. But 
she writes they're almost kind of cosy the poems in a way in that they kind of ring a bell with your everyday life but I think they give you more if you let them sit with you um, as it's been quite chilly and we're coming out of the winter I hope at some stage um, this rings a great bell with me there's a poem here about the central heating breaking and she has this really lovely image which is that the central heating is as if you're living in an old-fashioned house with an army of young scullery maids who come into every room with little coal scuttles full of coal and light those fires and make it all lovely and warm and cosy for you. And I'll just give you the very last bit of this poem, Oh, Our Fragile Lives. Um, We have had trouble in the past with our boiler and I think this is why I so like this poem. Down the chimney the wind winds jealous as a siege of wolves. And down the telephone we howl, we're living in an icebox, it's Siberia here. An alien air is rising through the cracks. Still, behind it all, behind the misery of the not warm, we know we're strangely confident that the gas repairman must soon come. And with him are lovely girls warming the rooms as they've always done in the past. A lovely image. And the title of this collection of poems is Anne Haverty, A Break in the Journey. And moving on then to the second book that you've chosen for us, uh, which is a book of spy stories. So, yes, these are these will probably be familiar to many of um, your listeners, but for anybody who who hasn't started, can I just say that you will enjoy them, I suspect, if you like spy stories. They're written by Mick Heron, and they are... The first one is called Slow Horses. And the slow horses of the title are then, they come into every book thereafter. And the slow horses are the spies who haven't been a roaring success at spying. They've had some problem or other, which has meant that they've been exiled out of the main Secret Service snazzy office into some sort of horrible backwater. But actually, their lives are still full of intrigue and difficulty. And the marvellous thing about the books is there is an undercurrent of them which is quite political, but they are very, very witty. And so you're, you're led along quietly smiling away to yourself. And very tragic things happen because, of course, they do in the spying world. And so they also are very sad but with a, a very light touch and the wit keeps you not too sad. It's just, you know, that you're engaged, but they are very funny as well. And the at the centre of it all, like a spider, sits this impossibly uncouth but really compelling figure who is their sort of master in their outpost. And he's a man who you couldn't get anything past at all. And he's a man who knows everything about everything. But he is a mess. (laughs) 
as well. So he's a he's a very good changer character, and the other characters uh, rotate around him. Um, very good indeed. So this is, and there's a series of these books, of these and books. the author uh, is Mick Heron, and that's H E R R O N. And the third book that you have for us this evening is coming out of the COVID experience, and uh, it's it's a, a real, I suppose almost an analysis, really, of what was going on and what is happening as a result of COVID. It was recommended to me, this book, by somebody who knows the author, and they know the author because they've worked with him. This is a professor of intensive care medicine, and uh, his that means that his background speciality is anaesthesia, um, and it's the anaesthetists who run our ITUs. The book goes takes us back to the extraordinary days of early 2020 when this strange virus came and uh, wrecked so many lives and changed our day-to-day lives for everybody across the world. It's a very interesting book to read now, I think, because it brings back that extraordinary period where... Nobody was entirely comfortable. Everybody was constantly uncomfortable. And then, you know, okay, and then, you know, a little bit worried. You know, if you remember back to then how people would keep their distance, how we stood on those little yellow islands when we were queuing in the post office, looking at other people, wondering if everything was okay or were they coughing. All that anxiety must have been horrendous for this man and the people that he was working with at a huge London teaching hospital where they put together a sort of Covid team and their intensive care was swamped with Covid people. They had funny extra intensive cares, they had they used operating theatres as extra intensive care units, they had pods, they had to get dressed into special PPE, they didn't have the PPE and then they did have it, they had to get dressed in it and then go in and see patients and then take everything off to go and see other patients and they didn't know what they were doing because it was a completely new illness. And their patients didn't behave as they might have expected with intubated patients. The decisions taken to intubate patients or not intubate patients. The extraordinary thing, there was one very moving bit that he writes where he's got intubated patients in an ITU and above every intubated patient is an iPad, which is clamped to a drip stand and the iPad was put there so that families could virtually visit their very ill relative and he said initially he'd thought oh that's stupid you know why would they want to do that after they're asleep why would you want to do FaceTime with somebody who's asleep but of course then he thought in reality In reality, when people are in ITU, we go and visit them. 
Of course we do. And we talk to them, we hold their hand. So this is what these families were doing. And he said once he realised that, he was unbearably moved. And that is the thing that I think is so striking about this book. There is tremendous humanity and compassion by this man who is carrying a huge weight of responsibility, who freely admits he doesn't know what he's doing, who is frightened that he makes tough decisions. It is a very good study, even if you don't want to read about COVID, of the tremendous difficulty of being a doctor that I think those of us who aren't doctors often forget. Doctors do mind about their patients and they're not sort of superhuman. So sometimes they are very moved and upset when those patients go downhill, when they'd hoped they were going to go uphill. And of course they are. And at the same time, they have to balance that with a, with a level of detachment. And they usually manage that trick very well. But it's a hard trick to pull off. And I think it's useful to remind us of that. I also think it's very salutary to remind us what it was like to be the nurses, because at one stage he says, you're so obsessed with how difficult things are for you. You then, he has a he has an interaction with a, an ITU nurse and he suddenly realises that things are absolutely appalling for them. Um, and they have patients they don't know at all, because which is unusual, because in, a, in an ITU in normal circumstances, an ITU nurse, if she doesn't know the patient because they are asleep before she's dealing with them, she knows them through their family, but she doesn't know their family, so she doesn't know them. And yet she does because she's doing everything for them. And the difficulty of the way that they were tremendously tremendously overstretched and that's not a you know that wasn't that wasn't just university college hospital london that was throughout the world the hospitals were doing a fantastic job and it is interesting to remind us of that and i think reading the book you can hear this man's good days and bad days and the the difficulties of the days that he's faced and the extraordinary conditions he's working under. And it does say to me that rather like after a war, some of our healthcare workers may well be quite traumatised by what they've observed, what they've had to do. And some of them may know that now. And some of them may not know it for 10 years or some of them may not know it for 20 years. But I think... It's helpful for us to think about the circumstances that our healthcare workers across the world have been working under during the period of COVID. And that goes for people in, you know, the receptionists in doc doctors, GP surgeries, you know, GPs, healthcare workers, people who bring you your breakfast and lunch when you're in hospital. And think, you know, now I know they're very stretched here at the moment and they must be quite tired. So I think we all need to remember that. But it is a fantastically good book. It is a book I would recommend that you read when you're feeling well because it's <laughs> quite an alarming book. Uh, I was about 40% of the way into the book because I was reading it on my Kindle when I actually got COVID. Now, I got COVID, I was fully vaccinated. I was, you know, it was not, <laughs> not 2020. 
But I have to say, I decided that it was good for my health not to read the book until I was better from the COVID that I had, uh, rather than to persevere with it. Uh, I have now finished it. It is very, very good. And the title of the book and its author, Sue? And uh, the title of the book is Life Support, and the author of the book is Professor Jim Down. So, Sue, again, thank you for your review and for bringing us those three titles tonight. And your wisdom giving that to us on this occasion, as always. Thank you again, Sue. If you listen to Beyond Belief often, you'll know that Father Jerry has a great love of musical theatre. And a couple of weeks ago, we sat down to talk about the highly successful American songwriting team consisting of composer John Kander and lyricist Fred Ebb. And Jerry spoke about some of the great Kander and Ebb musicals and chose some of the songs from their shows. And he began by playing this one from Chicago, All That Jazz. Bye. 
that's final, huh, Fred? Yeah, I'm afraid so, kiddo. Oh, Fred. Yeah. Nobody walks yeah. out on me. song is All That Jazz, taken from the musical Chicago by Kander and Deb. And from time to time on this program, we, we share with you some musical item. It might be a song or a composer or a singer. And uh, we're talking now about the composer of that song, the duo of Kander and Ebb, who produced many musicals. And Stephen, your own family had an association with that because your daughter was in, involved in, in, and is involved in stage. Indeed, production. indeed, yeah, yeah. So that's something. Even though it's back in the 60s, well before she was born, even well before she was born and she has a love of that sort of music uh, i know and has actually performed two of the songs that you're going to play us this evening so uh, yeah she knows candor and ebb yeah there's there's quite a repertoire for candor and ebb and people don't know much about them really but they they i i think they, they they had a magic about them and especially in the ballads that they had in their shows and they, they were able to tap in to funny moments, but also very poignant moments in the characters yeah. of the show and stuff yeah. like that. And this is another show that isn't produced all that much now. It's probably a little bit dated, but it comes from the 1980s. And the show was called Woman of the Year and actually starred Lauren Bacall in the lead role. And then she stepped down and I think actually Raquel Welsh took up the baton of the Woman of the Year, who is this very successful print producer, and she's a force to be reckoned with. But then she falls in love, and that's what the story is about, and the the relationship, and then that goes a little sour, but then it is revived, and things like that. But there's two songs in this that I've always loved. Uh, one is a ballad, and uh, we listen to this one first. And it's, it's a really, really lovely song. It was actually recorded by Placido Domingo way back in the 80s as well. But the version I'm using is from a stage musical actor called Bent Barrett. And it's called Sometimes a Day Goes By. And the scene really is the lead male character. The relationship is broken but he's just singing to the fact that sometimes a day goes by, he doesn't think about her, but he always does. So let's listen to it. Very good. Sometimes a day goes by one whole entire day When I Don't think of her Twenty-four hours pass I look around to find That I Haven't thought of her Not even When I'm somewhere We used to go not even if that 
Sometimes a day goes by, taken from the musical The Woman of the Year. There's another uh, classic song, I think, in this one, and this has uh, its own unusual story, because it's at the end of the musical, where uh, Lauren Bacall, as the main character and the very successful entrepreneur and woman of the year, meets up with the former wife of her lover, and she's just a deadpan housewife. But the character was played by Marilyn Cooper. And even though she's only on the stage for about maybe six or seven minutes at the end of the show, she actually steals the show. And she won the Tony Award for that simple performance. And it's all built around this song where the two women are comparing their lives. And it's simply using the phrase that we always say, that we use in our own conversation, the grass is always greener on somebody else's patch.
wonderful First you take a volume I can see you planning picnics That's wonderful Past the jelly beans Ah, the grass is always greener On somebody else's front lawn Ah, somebody else's greener Always has a lot more relish on You saved the whales in Newfoundland That's wonderful What's so wonderful You can run a household a husband you can have my husband i've already had your husband oh, Lay ministry is becoming increasingly important in our diocese. You may remember that last Easter I spoke to three lay ministers in the Killaloo Diocese who'd been commissioned by Bishop Finton last Easter. I thought it would be interesting to see how lay ministers are being trained in the Church of Ireland. So recently I spoke to Frankie Thornborough from the Diocese of Chum, Limerick and Killaloo, who's coming to the end of her training to be a diocesan reader in the Church of Ireland. Frankie, good evening and very nice to see you and to talk to you, albeit via Zoom. Well, good evening to you too. Very good to be here talking to you. Thank you. And I just thought it would be very useful to speak to someone who's actually training at the moment, who's undergoing this new course that they've got and uh, about to come to the end of it. So how have you found it? Um, I found it incredibly interesting. It's, It's a very intense year. It's challenging. But it really is quite rewarding, even even if I wasn't going to go on with my readership. I just found it incredibly challenging. It taught me so much and it taught me so much about what I thought I knew and realised I didn't. And, you know, you'd fallen into your church life as being quite a familiar place. And this was very, very good for shaking that up. Very good. And just let's go back. How have you been involved in your church and and how did it develop that you decided to take the step and and offer yourself for training? Right. Well, you see, this possibly it's one of the benefits and it's one of the downsides is that I was born into a very Church of Ireland family and I have never, unfortunately, had any reason to question my faith. And it was like a familiar blanket. And I have to say, the course has made me rethink a lot of things. And even down to simple things like you do, like saying the Apostles' Creed, you know, but um, or even the Lord's Prayer. 
So the church was always in my life. And I went to a Church of Ireland boarding school where the chapel was at the centre of every day. And I was a choir girl and all of that sort of thing. Maybe fell off a little bit when I went to university and for the early 20s. But when I came back to teaching, I came back to teaching the same school. So that was the ethos and one I was very happy to be part of. As a headmistress, I uh, quite often had to take services in the school chapel. We had a chaplain, but that really, I suppose, is where I was coming from. And I retired to the West here in Clifton in 2010. And of course, I joined my local Church of Ireland church here in Clifton. Small, very different from anything on the East Coast in an awful lot of ways, but lovely. I really enjoyed joining the community. About two years after I, I joined, our rector retired and we got somebody else who retired, has gone now too, and we weren't getting anybody else. And I think this is indicative of what is going on in the West. There's a huge shortage of, of ordained people and we're very much out here on a limb. And so just out of needs must, I started doing the parish reading. And at that stage, you were supplied with sermons and that sort of thing. But in the last three years, our group of churches was put into the cure of Tuam. So the dean of Tuam became our rector, but we really only saw him once a month and then for meetings. Lovely, lovely man. And I'm very sorry that he died in November. But it really was becoming, I talked to him and I said, is there any further way I can serve? And he said, I think maybe if you would try the diocesan road, that you would be of use to me and the diocese. So that's what I did. Uh, So that's where my calling, if you like, came from. I saw a need for someone to stand forward and serve. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm sure that that's so. And are you already taking services? I've been taking services for quite a number of years now, yeah. And of course, that is a very useful way of learning, isn't it? You know, you can learn by doing, you can learn the theory, which is important, but equally to actually learn how to do it. Oh, gosh, yes. You need to have your feet on the ground, and that's an essential way of learning. But the academic side is important too. The ministry developing as a diocesan reader will be nothing more really than what I'm doing at the moment, but there'll be nothing further added because I'm taking morning prayer, I'm preaching, which my retired bishop had licensed me to do. So it wouldn't be doing anything more except that I assume that if I was needed elsewhere in the diocese I would be moved there for a Sunday but I think mostly it would be um, around my own group of churches yeah um, and how often do you think you'll be taking services how, how often do you want to take services and so I would be doing one or two Sundays a month and I could have two churches and I could have just one the summertime is very very difficult because all four churches in the group are running so that is that's a tricky one to cover So, you know, it would be for maybe a couple of months, you're stuck with two services a Sunday. So it's a heavy load by the time you've got your service together and do that and write your sermon. I mean, that's that's a nearly a day gone out of your your Absolutely. No, that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, But I enjoy doing it. I do enjoy doing it. And I enjoy the communication with the people. And I'm very grateful that our congregation are very grateful to myself and another parish reader for doing it. I would just say that it's very rewarding and parish reading is super. It's great. 
But what I felt was that I didn't have, when I started to think, really think about it, I didn't have anything more to offer than anybody sitting in the pews in front of me. And so I thought, right, you know, I need to get some knowledge behind me. I need to get a greater understanding and I need to explore my own spirituality. And I really would encourage people if they have any little inkling at all to explore it, because I I really do think that lay ministry is going to be terribly important in the next decade if our churches are to stay open you know if 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 we're not just going to be um on the east coast or in the big cities or whatever but uh, places like the west coast here and that you know it's 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 difficult and i think lay ministry is is a way forward i mean we're shrinking we're shrinking um congregations because of age generally children from the west emigrate um they go to school away from here quite often and then of course they're not going to be trying to make a living here generally um so you know it's it's uh, it's it's a very very tricky space we're in at the moment in the church of ireland on the west coast yeah absolutely and uh, i think you've summed up the the value and, and the importance of it so so perfectly and so uh thank you so much for explaining it to us and and for encouraging people who maybe just have that little inkling and not sure whether to um you know to have a word with their rector did you have a word with your rector yes i did i i talked to a couple of people yeah just to get that confirmation that they see that it's it's a possibility for you yeah. and to also give you advice on on how to go about it just to say in the november before the course starts in january there's a weekend where everybody who's been accepted onto the course meets and it's called Fit for Purpose Weekend where, you know, you're, you're exploring a lot of, if you're not terribly sure, this is a way and you, you've got people you can talk to. There are about, I think, about 26 of us and it was a very, very mixed group. I mean, some people were heading for some form of ordination or, or looking for selection for that. Some of us were there as, as readers uh, wanting to, to go a little bit further with it and different sort of tracks, if you like, for the way. But that didn't seem to matter. And and you had people from 23 or 26 to, to, I think I was the oldest at 68. So you had a lot of sort of students who had done their theology degree or something, but a lot in the middle who've been out working in the world. And as we have already said, that is so important to bring that outside experience so that the church stops being focused inwards and is focused outwards but the support of these people it didn't matter what age you were whether you're man or a woman or what it is the support was just phenomenal and we now have a um uh, well we did all along we have a whatsapp group and that is continuing and you know it's it's not even just for you know with with problems with your study it's also with personal problems life problems when you just don't see how you're going to get around something and and they're there it's it's just super it's 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 fantastic um you've got people from chaplaincy you've got people who are readers you've got people who are rectors coming in and talking to you and it really is a good weekend for you to be honest with yourself about what it is you're trying to do. Um, I, I have to say I nearly pulled out that weekend. Um, 
I did. Mm. Um, uh, but I was lying in a very cold room that night, uh, the Saturday night, and I was just thinking, no, I can't do this. You know, I just can't do this. What am I thinking about at this stage of my life? And um, I was sort of tossing and turning and trying to think how I was going to get out of it, really, with, with face saving. <laughs> and then just suddenly, just suddenly, peace came over me. And mm. I said, OK, Very go good. for it. The Holy Spirit working away there. So, Frankie, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you're a voice of encouragement and you've stressed how important Reader Ministry is. So thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Here's the Kilfenora Caney Band. My heart tonight's in Ireland in sweet County Clare. In the town the scarf sun was shining in the sky Where the Clancy played his pipes and the tears welled in my eyes Many years have passed and gone since the times that we had there But my heart's tonight in Ireland in the sweet County Clare My heart's tonight as far away it's across the rolling sea in the sweet mill town Malbec, it's there I'd love to be. So long ago and far away, there's nothing can compare. My heart's tonight in Ireland, in the sweet county Clare. That August in Kilrush when the rain was lashing down, and our hotel was that hay bar in the outskirts of town. We were all sick and feverish and old and had the flu But Johnny produced some whiskey and the sun came smiling through My heart's tonight is far away, it's across the rolling sea In the sweet little town Malbec, it's there I'd love to be So long ago and far away, there's nothing can compare My heart's tonight in Ireland in the sweet county Clare those nights in Six Mile Bridge when the songs and music flowed And when it came to closing time the lights were turned down low And the sergeant from Kilkishen he would buy us all one more And we never left that pub before the clock was striking four My heart's tonight is far away, it's across the rolling sea In the sweet mill town Malbec, it's there I'd love to be so long ago and far away, there's nothing can compare My heart's tonight in Ireland in the sweet county Clare The engine in its time in Andascanner and Kilkee But best of all was Milltown, the music flowed so free But it can see and the county Clare forever in your debt For the sights and sound of yesterday are shining memories yet my heart's tonight the far away, it's across the rolling sea In the sweet mill town Malbec, it's there I'd love to be So long ago and far away, there's nothing can compare My heart's tonight in Ireland in the sweet county Clare Playing the jig of Jimmy Ward in the sweet county Clare
Simeon and Anna waited, waited patiently, waited generously, waited humbly, their waiting room, God's temple, until God's light shone into a longing world, and Simeon saw God's salvation, light of hope, light of peace, light of life. I am here in the temple of my heart, lighting a candle in my soul, candle of love, candle of welcome, candle of peace. Run through the darkness, hold out your candle for all to see, light up the sky, seek out the lonely, the timid, the worn. The flame inside of you will grow, will set you free. There's a dawn in every darkness, there's a song in every silence, there's a light in every heart, there's a candle in every soul. Like a flicker in the darkness comes the earth's desperate cry, it's time to light the spark, let it shine. The flame is all you need, a soothing balm for every heart a sacrament of promise. And Simeon beheld the blossoming face of God, and Anna journeyed with him to witness to the light. Longing for light, we wait in darkness. Longing for truth, we turn to you.
That was Christ Be Our Light by Bernadette Farrell, and it brings us nearly to the end of our programme this evening. My thanks go to our guests, Frankie Thornburg, Dr Sue O'Brien, Sister Anne Crowley from Kilkee, and Father Jerry Kenny for talking about the musicals of Candor and Ebb. But as ever, I thank you for being with us this evening. Remember, you can listen again by going to the Claire FM website and clicking on the catch-up tab. And you can join me for Sunday prayer at a quarter to eight next Sunday morning. And Beyond Belief will be back again next Sunday evening at 9pm. Until then, this is Stephen Fletcher wishing you a joyful and a peaceful week. Enjoy the holiday tomorrow. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Sloan Agus Banach.